0: You are listening to the official Axe 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.ax2orlando.com. All right, I, I want to warn you ahead of time, I feel really full. Okay, so sometimes when that happens, I think I, I have a tendency to like give people a drink with a fire hose. So I want to be careful, I don't want to do that. Um, but I did, have felt something been stirring inside of me the last couple of weeks concerning Palm Sunday and Easter. And I really felt Holy Spirit speaking to me yesterday about taking the next three Sundays, starting with this one and doing a series on resurrection. And not just, not just leaving it to a resurrection Sunday where we celebrate it, but to really dig into it and see what it really means for us. Didn't that feel good in worship today? Just even all of that having to do with what God has afforded to us Through His sacrifice. It's enormous. I think we sometimes slip into kind of a religious mindset and say, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I've heard that before. But to really take time to ponder it and meditate on it, what God has given to us through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension is enormous. So life-giving. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. So this one today is called Resurrection, Living Now or in Eternity? Which one do you want? Living Now or in Eternity? Um, some of you may have heard about these, this picture before. I think it was, uh, Jay was telling me this morning, that was uh, Francis Chan. He had done a, a, a thing one time where he took a rope and he stretched it out across the room. and A hundred foot rope. And he took a piece of tape and he put the tape around a piece of the rope, a small piece, and he said, this is your life, this is eternity. And I like that picture. And I want to use that for a moment, but I don't want to restrict it. Just that he took a hundred foot piece of rope I want you to if you could for a moment imagine a rope going through this building That had no end and had no beginning Now that'll bake your noodle a little bit. I know Because we're we're we define our lives by time and space But I want you if you can for a moment think about it A, A rope that went through that wall and through that wall and it had no beginning and it had no end That's eternity and it's true, the time that we live on this planet is a scratch. It's microscopic. It's so small. I think part of the challenge we face in our humanity is we get really focused on that scratch. All of our life gets consumed with that scratch, that little mark. And we'll tip our hat and we'll give a amen and a hallelujah to resurrection life and eternal life, eternity, but I I wonder sometimes how much we're not really giving it its full worth. Yes, our lives in this physical body are on that rope and are on that thing. It's a scratch. It's just a mark, almost so small you can't see it. And we get so focused on that right there. I I think what I want to do is open us up to a little bit different way of approaching it this morning. And as I go through this, it'll, it'll... it'll get more clear, but how many of you guys watch the news in here? Anybody? Or you read news feeds, something? Hold your hands up. I want to see. Just, I really want to take a poll. Yeah. It's a little depressing, isn't it? (laughs) It is. I, you know, I like politics. I, I think the way that God gave our founding fathers this thing called the American experiment, you know, what they gave us with our Three branches of government—all that stuff—it fascinates me. It's, I find it really fascinating. And so I'll listen to the news, I'll watch the news, I'll read different articles. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you can read it and you go, oh "My gosh, man, we are so stupid. Just, we just, our humanity. I mean, it just. Sometimes I look at it and go, what are we thinking?'" And I see things happening more and more the older I get, even with the church. Now, we as a country, by and large, are not persecuted. When we compare it to what goes on outside of this country, we all agree with that, right? I mean, if if you just read something outside of the mainstream media, you'll discover that there are Christians dying every day, hundreds of them dying every day simply because of persecution. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning, knowing that things are far worse, but I want to pay attention to it in the context of what we experience in our Western American culture. Because when I see news feeds, read news feeds, see news clips, things like that, I see things happening. I have friends who live in Texas, um, in the San Antonio area, and I just got a a news feed uh, from someone that was sharing it, that I know that lives there in Texas, and evidently the international airport in San Antonio, Texas does not want to allow a Chick-fil-A in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reasoning is because they're so hateful, which blows my mind because they never said anything about hating, they just said what they were for, not what they were against. But they don't want to let them into the airport. Now, I don't want to get into politics. That's not the point of all this. But I do want to bring it up just to keep us aware of this, that there's a level of persecution going on with Chick-fil-A, which you guys know. It's a Christian organization, right? There's a, a level of persecution that goes on with it. It's nothing like we face in the rest of the world. But I see this stuff happening, and I sometimes get really, really frustrated with it. But I'm feeling this thing of Holy Spirit inside of me just provoking me a little bit that... If that really is frustrating me that much, then perhaps I'm not living with eternity in mind. That perhaps I'm still living on this scratch. Perhaps I'm still focused way too much on this little scratch that's on the rope. That that all of my attention, all of my energy, my thought can go into that kind of stuff. Now, it may be something different for you. I'm just using that as an example. But we're going to look at it a little bit in Scripture and what Jesus talks about. So I want to start with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's having to, in this letter, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's having to bring some correction to the church. There's a lot of things that we find in 1 Corinthians that can make you kind of go dog-eared sometimes. What? Why would he say that? I mean, there's things in there like, I do not allow a woman to speak in church. And we build doctrines off of it. We have churches that do not allow women to speak in church because of that. When he's actually addressing a problem, he's addressing an issue that is there. He's not giving directive on how the church is to function. He's addressing a problem that exists there. Yeah. Don't get me going there. I don't like it when church leadership says men have to be in leadership and women can't be in leadership. Did you know why? Because we're called a bride Just think about that for a moment. We're the bride of Christ. He likens us all to the female side of things. He's the bridegroom, right? Awesome. So I don't want to go down that road too much. I just, you hear what I'm saying with this. I really want to look at what he's addressing here. So in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing a lot of problems that are happening in the church, and he gets to 1 Corinthians 15, and he starts talking specifically about the resurrection. I want to read a few verses to you out of this chapter. I'm going to begin with Just saying verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I have shared with you what I have received and what is of utmost importance. Now, whenever you see something like that, it's a good idea to stop and go, oh, he's going to share with me something of utmost importance. So maybe I should pay attention to it. And he says this, the Messiah died for our sins, fulfilling the prophecy of scripture. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days, as foretold by the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter, the rock, and to the 12 apostles. Now jump down to verse 12. He says this, the message we preach is Christ who has been raised from the dead. So how could any of you possibly say there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, all of our preaching has been for nothing, and your faith is useless. <laughs> Come on. I mean, do you, you, you sense, do you feel the like, intensity of what he's bringing to him? It's like he's saying to him, if I can give you the Andrew Lamb paraphrase for a moment. He's saying to him, listen, if there is no re- resurrection, we suck. Yeah. <laughs> We're toast, man. There is no point in all of it. If we're preaching resurrection, look what he goes on to say. He says this. Verse 15, Moreover, if the dead are not raised, that that would mean that we are false witnesses who are misrepresenting God, and that would mean that we have preached a lie stating that God raised him from the dead if in reality he didn't. Verse 16, If the dead aren't raised up, that would mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive... You are still lost in your sins, and your faith is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on the earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. (laughs) Are you catching what he's saying here? He's saying, without the I want to share something with you that is of the utmost importance, he says. Christ died, just like the scripture said, and he rose again, just like the scripture said. And if there is no resurrection, we of all people on this planet are the most pitiable. Why do you think that is? I think I shared last week just about the different names of religious leaders I found outside of a church building on stepping stones and stuff. And Jesus was listed among all of them. And I'm like, I just wanted to shout out to somebody. That's the only one that's not in the ground anymore. Jesus Christ is the only one that's not in the ground anymore. I don't even know how you can equate it with anybody else. If there is no resurrection, then we of all people are the most pitiable. It's so sad. Think about this for a moment. If there is no resurrection in this thing called the church, what is going to differentiate us between us and any other religion? Anything? Nothing? You know what we've become if we take out the resurrection? We have become a moral club, a moral social club, where our lives are just about being a little bit better, just about not doing bad things and starting to do good things. We've turned ourselves into just this moral get-together social club. Are you catching this? What Paul is saying right here, he's emphatically saying to them, I need you guys to understand this, that without the resurrection, life sucks. So I want us to think about this in the context of this eternity thing. We use words like eternal life or eternity. We use things words like forever. But there is a difference, and it's important to understand that. Because forever intimates from now, never ending. But eternity has no beginning and no end. Before I ever formed you... In the womb, I knew you. Before, Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the world, I knew you. Come on, is this helping? I know this, again, this stuff will bake your noodle. It'll mess you up a little bit. You start thinking about eternity, and us, even in the church, I think what we've done is we have separated eternity from the Now. We have thought that somehow I live my life, I die, I go to heaven, and then forever I'm with God. But there was an amazing transaction that happened in the cosmos. When 1 Corinthians says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that word there, God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos, that means the entire created order. It's not just people, not just the hearts of people. The entire created order was reconciled and brought into a whole new new way of living. So eternity, here it is, eternity moved from something up here with the temporal down here. They came together and they merged. And what we do in our life right now affects eternity. Did you know that? That the word of God says that you can hasten the day of the Lord. What? What? I thought God is so sovereign and he has everything planned and it's going to happen just like this. Well, there are times where he does that. Paul talks about himself being born as one out of time, like he was born in the wrong time. I think I was born in the wrong time. I was born in 1967. I think I should have been born in 1957. I really do. I missed the whole funk music age, and that's my favorite. I love that stuff, and I just missed it just by a little bit. I was born in the wrong age. Paul talks about himself like that, born, one born out of time. But it also says in Acts 17 that every person has been born in an appointed time and season. So which one is it, Andrew? Is God a God of time? I mean, is he a God of specifics? Yes, he is. But it's like looking at it like this. Did you know, every, I don't like it when people say God has a plan for your life. I would much rather hear people say God has a purpose for your life. Yeah. Because purpose can get fulfilled in multiple plans. Does this make sense? When we say things like God has a specific plan for my life, I think we're, we're, we put ourselves in a position where we get fearful. Are you still tracking with me here? We get fearful because if God has a specific plan, then I need to be careful where I step here. But that's not really the reality. When God, God has a purpose for us, he has a purpose in the earth. He is not willing that anyone should perish. I, it blows my mind that he has brought eternity into right now, into what we see as time. People say things like this. They'll say, well, God's not in time. Well, he is in time. He's just not restricted by it. He's imparted so much of his nature and his character into humanity through the person of Jesus. And it's like he said, I'm on the earth showing you what this looks like. Now, tag, you're it. You do it. It, it, it really messes my mind up. It really causes me to, I believe what I feel when I feel that thinking about it is the real fear of the Lord. You've entrusted me with how eternity unfolds? What? Doesn't that make you go, oh, I need to be careful with what I'm doing? I need to be careful with what I'm doing because it can have an effect on eternity. And he's put us in that position. And Paul is wanting to wake the church up and he's saying, guys, don't you understand this? That, that resurrection life that Jesus, when he came on the scene and he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life, I am the anastasis, I am the Zoe. It's not just about him coming out of the ground. When he came out of the ground, he took your frailed humanity with him. When he went into the ground, he took your sinful self, your entire sinful nature. And when he went into the ground, you went into the ground with him. Romans 6, read it. I'm not making it up. We are buried with him so that we could be raised to walk in a newness of life. This thing about resurrection life has so much of a grander impact. It's much more than the scratch on the rope. And we get so myopic in our lives, and all we see is this one little scratch. i got to make sure I save for my future. i got to make sure I save for the kids' college fund. That's important. Don't get me wrong. All of that's important. But that is not, the, that is not all of it right there. There is so much more than that. It's good. Yeah. He comes on the scene. He says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the anastasis. I'm the life. I'm the zoe. There's two different words used in Greek for life, bios and zoe bios is what makes my heart beat and my lungs go (laughs) and breathe that's bios life that's where we get the word life for biology right and that's what we study but he uses a different word he says zoe anybody know why take it back to the garden for a moment adam and eve god speaks creates everything he takes adam forms him out of the dust and it says God breathed into him and he became alive. When God breathed into him that moment, two things happened. Bios life, his heart began to beat. His lungs began to expand and contract. Air was going in and out. But it was more than just the bios life because he is the Zoe life. He, when he breathed into him, his spiritual man was alive. Full connection with God. You guys know the story. Read Genesis. You know the story. He's walking in the garden with God, communicating. What happens? As soon as you eat of the tree... You will surely die. When they ate of the tree, did they die? They did, but they were still alive. What died? There's no way life. Are you still tracking with me here? Yeah. That happened to creation. Night of the resurrection. The night of the resurrection. He raised from the dead Sunday morning. It's the first Sunday night church meeting ever held. All the disciples are in a room. They're hiding for fear of the Jews. Jesus walks through a wall, freaks them out. And he says, don't be afraid. What the heck are you talking You just walked through a wall, dude. <laughs> That's not something I see every day, okay? Give me a moment. <laughs> Walks through the wall. Don't be afraid. As the Father has sent me. You can read it. John 20, 21, 22. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he says, now receive Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He breathed on them. Were they already alive? Bios. Yes. But he said, what was lost in the garden, that zoe, that connection, spiritual life, what was lost in the garden, I'm restoring it to you right here. Receive Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. I am the resurrection. I am the zoe. I am Anastasis. I am the zoe. He's putting them together here for a reason. Because when the, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he brought humanity back into a right ability to connect with God. And I think we still live a lot on this scratch with our minds consumed with the scratch. But I got to do this. I want to do this before my life. I used to, you know, the the culture I grew up in, I remember hearing, sometimes I would hear some of my friends, even family members say, man, I just, I want to do this before the Lord returns. I want to do this before the Lord returns. What we have now and what we have connection to in the eternity that we can bring into union together is so much better than what I can just do in my physical body right now. You hear what I'm saying? There's so much greater than just, I want to have kids. I want to get married. I want to retire. When we bring eternity into it and start seeing it the way God designed us for it, we start seeing, oh my gosh, I can create with my words. I can create a world around me with the words right now because eternity is not something out there waiting for me. He brought it in close and I live in it. You remember when Jesus met the woman at the well in John four. You guys remember that? The story says that they were, he had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission from God. He had to go through Samaria, which is interesting because he didn't have to go through it geographically. He had to go through it in obedience because of what God was saying. But the disciples were hungry. Let's get some food to eat. And he goes, I've got food to eat. You know, nothing of I'm just trying to bring a story into the practical to bring this eternity and, and normal timeline into a thing right here. He goes, I got food to eat that you know nothing of. What is he doing? I think he's bringing them together right there and he's saying, I'm trying to show you something. That this whole eternal thing and this now thing, this food that you're so consumed with right now, he goes, do you realize I can get my physical need met by doing what God has called me to do right now? Come on, is this good for all the fasters and dieters in the room? <laughs> I don't like to diet. I don't like to go without food. It doesn't feel good. Well, maybe you ought to try a different food. You have access to a food. Jesus says, I have access to things. I have access to food you know nothing of. I think he's bringing them together. I think he's bringing stuff into, he's speaking of these things, trying to shift our understanding enough to go, I can, I can do anything that I need because I have eternity with me and the now right with me. Do you remember when he met Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Sorry, I'm too full. He met Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, and he comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid. That's where Nick at night got started, by the way. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because of the fear of the Jews and he says to him, we know that you have to be from God because of the works that you do. And Jesus says, you know what? No one can go to heaven except he who descended from heaven, which is the son of man, which is in heaven. It's what it says. No one has ascended except for he who first descended, which is the son of man, which is in heaven. I'm looking at you right now. What are you talking about? What is he doing? He's trying to bring all this together and he's saying, I want you to close the gap between the eternal realm and the the now. He even goes on to say to Nicodemus, you're a religious leader. How come you don't understand this? He's concerned with the scratch. He's already afraid of what people are going to think about him because he's meeting with Jesus, so he has to do it under the cover of darkness. He's concerned with the scratch. Come on, is this speaking to you this morning? I think true wisdom when it comes to living this life is not found in, in doing things that cause us to be stable in our character, to have savings, to have a good healthy family. I don't think really that's wisdom. I think those are good, but I think they're more of a byproduct of wisdom. James says, wisdom from the above is peaceable, gentle, it's willing to yield. It says wisdom from below is earthly and sensual and demonic. James says it. I'm not making it up, it's there. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. I think there is the difference. He says wisdom from above has to do with this eternal realm up here. That wisdom from below, it's all earthly, sensual, demonic, and it has to do with down here because it's so temporary. He's not saying that the temporary doesn't have value. He's saying that they've been merged and you've got to recognize that in order for this temporary to have the most value that it can have and the most impact that you can possibly have on this planet, you've got to recognize that they've been merged. Look at verse 30 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians 15. And why would we be risking our lives every day, my brothers and sisters? I continually face death. This is as sure as my boasting of you and our co-union together in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives me confidence to share my experience with you. Tell me, why did I fight wild beasts in Ephesus if my hope is only in this life only? What was the point of all that? If the dead do not rise, then let's party all night for tomorrow we die. Come on. You, do you hear the extremity in what he's saying? Well, if we're just—if there's no resurrection, then come on, man, it's clubbing time. Hashtag clubbing. You didn't need that. My wife is cringing right now. I am. Yeah. I'm just trying to put it into a modern paraphrase, okay? That's all I'm saying. It's like, I mean, he's really trying to drive home here. Your union with Christ brought you into something so amazing. Why are you guys even talking about this? No resurrection. I think what was happening was they were getting infiltrated, kind of like what happened with the Galatians when the Judaizers came in and said, yeah, if you're going to do Jesus stuff, don't forget, you've got to do circumcision too. You've got to bring that in. Don't forget, if you want to do the Jesus thing, don't forget you've got to add this. I think the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming in and influencing what was happening. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. That's why they were all sad, you see. I am full of it this morning, aren't I? This thing about eternity, about wisdom from above, I believe it is the cornerstone for all logic and reason. What do you mean by that, Andrew? I mean this that if we look at what we see in Scripture revealed by God on what eternity really does look like, that all logic and reason has to come back to that paradigm. It has to come back to that paradigm. If it's only found in earthly reasoning, then it's really not where, where logic is found. Let me give you something simple. How many of you want to live? You want to live life to the fullest? You got to die. That's supreme logic, supreme wisdom. How many here want to be loved? You got to love. How many here want to get stuff? There's nothing wrong with getting stuff. Don't act all pious religious. No, I don't need anything. (laughs) Me and Jesus, that's all I need. Come on, you need stuff. Come on, I need money. That Duke energy bill comes every month. Don't act all like oh, I don't need anything. All I need is you, Jesus. No, you need some cash. <laughs> Come on, I'm just keeping it real, folks. Come on, man. You feel me? I am talking though about bringing it into the superior reality. Yes, it is true. It is true it's a it's a divi- true wisdom and logic. It's an eternal perspective. And it's weird. If you want to love, then you got to go love somebody. If you want to get, you got to give. you got to give. I'm all about saving. I'm all about trying to keep debt low. I'm all about that kind of stuff. But sometimes in order, if you're in debt, sometimes if you want to get out of debt, you give your money away. Why? It's a divine perspective. It's a heavenly, eternal reality. What's someone going to gain if they can gain the whole world and lose their soul, right? It's all part of that stuff. It's, you know, I don't know. I'm going to move off from that. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 for a moment because there's something else I want to look into concerning this. How do you know when you're living with eternity in mind? How do you know if when you're living in that melding of the two where the temporal and the eternal aren't different? Where that what I make, the choices that I make, the things that I do, they matter right now. How do you know? Look in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. I'm going to read two verses out of Luke 6, then we're going to move over to Mark for a moment. Luke chapter 6 verse 22 says this. How favored you become when you are hated. What? (laughs) What? How favored you become when you are hated, excommunicated, or slandered, or when your name is spoken of as evil because of your love for me, the Son of Man. I promise you, listen to this closely. I promise you that as you experience these things, you will celebrate and dance with overflowing joy. And the heavenly reward of your faith will be abundant because you are being treated the same way as your forefathers, the prophets. You see what he's saying here? He's saying if you're living in eternity and you start to get persecuted, you're gonna be like, oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna dance around and celebrate. Back to the club. Overflowing joy. Come on, if I'm being honest, that, if I get a little bit of persecution in my life, I'm like, come on. Yes. Come on, if we're being honest, just a little bit of persecution, just a tiny little bit of persecution. I remember it happened a while back. I love how God works, though. This is so beautiful. When we first moved here, we wanted to do outreach stuff in the city where people were. We tried to do, rent a booth down at Altamont Springs for the Cranes Roost event down there. And I remember trying to get a booth there, telling them, we'll pay $1,000 for the booth. We will pay for it for this one event. We will pay for this booth just so we can get out there and we can talk to people and pray for them. And the people who were leading were saying, yeah, that's a little weird. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea. And I felt two things happening inside of me. One of them was like, I felt the persecution thing. You know, I felt this thing of like, is my money not good enough? I'm not even asking you for a discount. I'm saying I'll pay you the full rate. Just give me a tent down there so we can just set up stuff and pray for people. And I remember talking to some other pastors in town, and they were like, yeah, man, you need to, you need to do something about that. You know, that's, that's illegal. They can't do that. And I felt that thing rising up in me as well. Oh, man, you're not going to do this to me. I heard, I remember Holy Spirit through this whole thing, though, just speaking to me. And he was like, Andrew, you going to trust me? Did you know that now, now, that that city doesn't charge us for those tents anymore. They actually let us have them for free. They ask us to come and be a part of what's happening at those events. But if I'm honest, when that was happening, there was a little bit of like, would you call that persecution? Maybe it's not harsh, but it's a little bit. I mean, it's something. It's kind of like the, you know, trying to keep the Chick-fil-A out of the airport in San Antonio because they said, we believe in biblical marriage of man, husband and wife, man and woman. We believe in that. And now they're being persecuted for it. Those evil Chick-fil-A people. <laughs> I think they're dancing all the way to the bank right now, though. Try to go get lunch at a Chick-fil-A around noon. Just try it. Jesus is saying here, Jesus says, when you're persecuted, leap for joy. And he uses these two words, verse 22 and verse 23. Verse 22, he says, favored. And verse 23, dance with joy. That just doesn't sound right. I don't know if that's our immediate reaction, but I think that's not our immediate reaction. It's because we're living on the scratch. We're too consumed with right now what physically is going on in my world. And if we're honest, a lot of our worlds are no bigger than the six-foot box that we live in. It's getting kind of quiet in here. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? These guys were boss. They were so boss. It comes down to the wire for them. Bow down, worship this thing. It ain't going to happen. Nope. All right, into the furnace you go. What's their response? God will save us. But they're living with eternity in mind. They're not living in the temporal. He says this, God will save us. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. Why? Because they knew that beyond the moment, there was something greater. They were inside of this thing called eternity, not the temporal. They knew that even if I die in this moment, I don't die. Come on, I love this picture. I have had close friends who have died untimely deaths. But when my mind is thinking eternal, this is the way I see it. Satan, you still lose. You still lose. I don't have them physically in my present, but they—you still lose. You still lose. I'm just separated for a little bit. I'm just separated for a little bit. But you still lose, Satan, because death doesn't win. That is the last thing that will be overtaken at the very end. What, what is Paul talking about here? all of this, he's saying, guys, I want you to start looking at life about as investing, not just living. I want you to look at it as investing, investing into a future. Give eternity, give the world, give history, something that can look at your life and say, I can honor that. I can honor that. I have felt a little persecution in town here. It's nothing major. I feel it. People think we're a little bit crazy. I'm okay with it. Jesus says, woe to the man who everyone speaks highly of. So if everyone's speaking highly of me, then I'm in trouble. I'm not in a good place. And I also know this, that history never remembers the people who were anti-revival. Can you think of one person who stood up at any of the most of history's revivals that stood up and said, this is wrong, this is wrong? Can you think of anybody who did that? Why? Because they're never recorded. It's the ones who go for it. It's the ones who decide I'm not living on the scratch anymore. I'm seeing something greater. There's something that goes infinitely that direction and this direction right here. And that's what I'm living for right there. This resurrection has brought me into a whole new place. I want to live in eternity, not just now. It's one thing, guys, to live in the moment. It's another thing to live for the moment. I grew up a lot of my life living for the moment. Woo! When's the next party? Let's get this thing going. Woo! You know, Whatever it is, I just want to live in for the moment, looking for the next big thing. We need to be careful because if, if we don't really think about this, we're going to live our lives like that for the next big moment instead of living in the moment. I'm really truly at my core convinced that we would see revival a lot stronger and a lot more broad if we would start living in the moment with that and recognizing all of eternity has been brought into me right now. I'm in this grocery store not in a church service, but revival can break out right here. Yes. Yes. There's been testimonies of that. I remember Bethel telling a testimony about it. Some kids going into some grocery store or Walmart or something like that, starting to pray for people and people getting healed. Somebody gets on the intercom and goes, people getting healed on aisle 13. <laughs> it happened. It really happened. People were like, what the heck is going on over there? People going to aisle 13, <laughs> getting healed. Why? Because they're moving away from the scratch and into eternity. They're starting to think that persecution is not a bad thing. It actually proves that something good is going on. Look at Mark chapter 10. Oh, this one's going to mess with you. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. Peter spoke up and said, Oh, don't you love Peter? I can so identify with Peter so melodramatic. Can't you see that we've left everything we've had and we cling to you? Great, Peter. Jesus' responds, says, listen to my words. Anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses me over children, parents, family, and possessions, all for the sake of the gospel, it will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime. Homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, possessions, along with persecutions. And in the age to come. He's not saying, all right, I'm going to go live on my own now. I'm going to bail on my family. He's not suggesting that. What he's saying is, are you living in the scratch where all you can think about is that? Or are you thinking about eternity? And he's saying those that who give those things up will get a hundred times that. Not only in this life, but also in the life to come. But he adds this one little phrase in there. Now this one wigs me out. In this lifetime, homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, possessions, along with persecutions. Let me just add that little bonus in there. <laughs> you, you're catching what he's saying here. He's saying, if you really want to know, Peter, if you've given all that up and you've clinging to me, how much persecution is in your life? Because when you give that stuff up, I return it to you, but persecutions come with it. It comes with it. Andy and I were having a conversation on Saturday, just, you know, random conversation. And I had just shared with him, I said, you know... With all this stuff I do that I see on the news and I kind of get amped up a little bit on the inside, just the stupidity. I mean, some people just get hit with a stupid stick and they can't do anything about it. You know, it's just like, you just, you're just you going to keep regurgitating that, aren't you? It's just, you know, keep paying the stupid tax. And I get, I get amped at some of it, you know, the whole Chick-fil-A thing that's happening and stuff. But I want, to be, I want to be careful on my insides. I want to guard myself with it too. Because Jesus said, beware of the leaven of Herod." and the 11 of the Pharisees. Herod was a political ruler. The Pharisees were religious rulers. We have to guard ourselves against re- religiosity yeah. and a political spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And I've said this before, we're not in an election season, but I will say this again. Whenever we elect officials, we are not electing saviors. We have one. Yeah. And politics reflects culture. Right. If you shift culture, you can shift the political climate. We don't elect saviors. We have a savior. So I'm not interested in getting into the political spirit. And I don't want to get into the religious spirit at all. I do want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, though, I am thinking with eternity in mind. And here's Jesus coming right back to Peter. <laughs> We've given it all up for you, Jesus. We've left our families. We've left our families and we cling to you. It's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, where's your persecution then? Because... If you leave that stuff, you get all of this stuff returned to you, Peter, but along with it comes the persecution. Why does that happen? I mean, why do we, if you think about it for a moment, don't you just really want to say, God, why did you have to do that? Why did you have to include persecutions in all of this stuff? I think it's because it confirms the kingdom and it gives us something to hold on to. If he's telling us to be overwhelmed with joy when persecutions come, if he tells us that when they come, I'm actually being favored, if he tells us that when I give up everything and the opposition comes and the persecution comes and I start to feel it, then what's happening in that moment is I'm actually walking in eternity and I'm no longer consumed with this scratch. We need a deep awareness of eternity. We need to know what it means, not just this side of it, but we need to know all the good stuff that we have access to as well. We are or access to. We we talk about it a lot here. Did anybody get healed here this morning? Let me see your hand. during in worship. Does anybody feel like healing was coming in your body? One person? Two people? Three people? Okay. This is who we are. Come on. You can get excited about that. This is who we are. This is what we have access to. It's a now in the moment. I am not waiting to be ultimately healed. I hate that when people say things like that. Well, they died. They got their ultimate healing. I'm not waiting for that. They died. Death is not my savior. Jesus is. Death is not my savior. Jesus is. <laughs> hmm. I don't want to look at my life like 75, 76, 77, 78 years old and start living. Jesus, when are you going to come take me home? Oh, wait a minute. He already did. You're seated with him in heavenly places, Right? The scripture is clear. You're identified with Jesus in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension. It's all throughout scripture. You are identified with him because nothing you can do can get you there anyway. It's all done through him. So that means through him, the one who says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, the way life. The one who says all that, he brings you into an eternal reality that you can live in right now in the moment. How many in here are sinners? Quiz. Nobody put your hand up. I know, I totally tricked you. I just want to, again, I'm trying to make it real. I'm trying to make it real. How many in here are sinners? No, you're not. I'm, I'm not making it up. Read the word. I'm not, I'm not making it up. If you're a sinner, take your Bible, cut out the book of Ephesians and throw it away. Take it out of your Bible right now, because it starts with saying this to the saints in Ephesus. If you're not a saint, throw it away. It's not for you. You are a saint. But but be okay with this, guys. You're not a saint because of anything you've done. You're a saint because of what he's done. He has become for me sanctification. He has become for me righteousness. What is he saying right there? What am I saying right now, Guys, if that doesn't make sense to you, then you're living on the scratch. If that doesn't make sense, you're still thinking along the scratch. We've got to move up to the higher plane. We've got to start thinking about eternity and what it means to live in a resurrected life. I want to be known for a man of character. Don't get me wrong. I want to be known to be a man of character. But I would much, 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 much rather be known for a man of faith. When Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find, what was it? faith in the earth. He's not even. He's not saying, when I return, am I going to find you guys really screwing this thing up? He's not even concerned with that. He's looking for one thing. He goes, when I return, am I going to find, is the son of man going to find faith in the earth? I want to be known as a faithful man. Yeah. I want to be known as, because I, I truly believe this. If my character is not my goal, faith is my goal and character is the fruit of it. Yeah. You see the difference. Faith is my goal. If I'm living as a man of faith, if I'm lining up with eternity, if I'm living more in the eternal than I am in the now, in the moment, then I know that my faith will grow, my understanding will grow, and my character will be a product of what is produced out of the faith. That's why Peter says this, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. It's a list. He starts with faith. Add to your faith this, virtue, then knowledge. All of this stuff happens. I want to be known as a man of character, but I know that my character will not be revealed by me pursuing character. It's going to be revealed by me pursuing faith. That we move our understanding, we move our thinking from this now into an eternal. Everybody stand up with me here. Some may be asking the question here, how do I do all this? What am I supposed to do? Well, let me ask you a question. What do you burn for? I can't answer that question for you. You can answer that question, though, if you're honest. What do you burn for? Do you burn for safety, security, or do you burn for the kingdom? Do you burn with a passion for Jesus? It's really that simple. What do you burn for? What consumes your thoughts? Where does worry take you? All worry is is the worship language of Satan. It's all worry is. It's the worship language of Satan. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. All right, prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. pray for you guys, and then we've got teams up here just to pray for you even more if you need it. You still need healing in your body. You need someone just to encourage you. Oh, we got plenty of people that can do that, and they can do it very, very well. You want people who can partner with you and just agree with you with something you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Come share it with somebody. Find somebody to connect with on it. It's a really helpful thing. Let everybody hold your hands out like this. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would give, like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that as that moves in our hearts, as it moves in our minds, Lord, I'm praying even right now for those who are feeling an emotional thing but can't even identify it. Right now, God, you would make it real because you are the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would reveal what it is that you're speaking, that you would reveal it in such a way that would give us the ability to move away from the scratch and start thinking about eternity does it mean to live from this point knowing that everything I do is going to affect eternity I can move the heart of God I can speak a language with him I can make declarations and I can create the world around me with what I agree with with God in Jesus name, amen amen, amen God bless you all, if you need prayer for anything don't forget These people are up here to help you, God bless you all amen Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.